are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Well, good morning, Sojourn. It's a delight to be with you this morning. I came to worship with you all last fall. It was in November, I believe. And when I knew I'd be coming again in May, I initially thought I'd be able to worship with you again in person. Uh, so I didn't think I'd be coming to each of you in your living room. So even though I don't know you very well, thanks for having me in your living room this morning. Uh, really excited to walk through God's Word with you. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor of Doxology Church. So we just planted in Arlington about six months ago last October. And I want to tell you guys thank you. Like seriously, thank you. So Sojourn is a partnering church of us. You all are supporting us. And it's, you know, anytime you start, well, I've only done this one time, but when you start a church plant, it can be pretty nerve-wracking because you're like this tiny little sapling trying to, you know, sprout through the dirt and get up and keep growing. And so it's indispensable to have churches come alongside to water you and support you and come alongside. So thank you guys for how you're giving generously to Sojourn because it's through your generosity giving to Sojourn that Sojourn's able to support us and help us as a new church. So just want to say thank you so much for that. So I'm jumping in with you guys in the series in the Gospel of John. Look, we're seeing Jesus, looking at who Jesus is. And today we're in John chapter 6. And this is a, it's a pretty well-known passage, but I've never actually studied it in depth before. And it was, a, it was a gift that I didn't expect to be able to meditate on it this past week in preparation to be with you guys this morning. And so I hope the Lord meets you in it in the same way he's met me. So go ahead and open up your Bibles if you have one with you, and we're going to be in John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, or maybe you're tuning in for the first time, maybe you don't have a church home, or... Uh, you don't consider yourself a Christian and you don't have a Bible, you can just do a Google search online. John chapter 6, ESV is the translation we'll be using. So we're in John chapter 6, and we're going to be in verse 22 through 51. So I'll read this section for us. Just follow along with me, try to get into the narrative with me. I'll read through uh, verse 51, and then we'll jump in, all right? Okay, so John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went into Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Please go ahead and pray with me. Uh, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for how you you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus. And Lord, we need you this morning. Uh, Help us to see that Christ is the bread of life and what that means for us. Uh, Please change us this morning, Lord, not by anything that we do, but all by your work and your spirit uh, moving through your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, this is, a, this is a rich passage, and we could easily spend eight weeks at least just walking through this. And so, since I only have today with you guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what is at the heart of what Jesus is communicating here. Like in all these verses, what's closest to his heart that he wants to be sure that you know? And where it is, it's in, it's in that section, verse 35 through 40, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is what he wants you to know. And so all we're going to do today is just look at that statement under two headings, I'm the bread of life, and we'll ask these questions. So we'll ask first, why does Jesus say, I'm the bread of life? Hey, why does he say, I'm the bread? And number two, why does he say, I'm the bread of life? Okay, so not just the bread, but the bread of life. Verse number one, why does Jesus say, I'm the bread? And number two, why does Jesus say, I'm the bread of life? Okay, so first number one, why does Jesus say, I'm the bread? So at this point in Jesus' ministry, he is popular. Everybody loves Jesus. And why does everybody love Jesus? Well, Jesus gives out free food. I mean, we just saw in the section before this, Jesus was handing out delicious bread and fish to people. In John chapter 2, Jesus kept a party going when they ran out of alcohol. Jesus comes to the rescue and says, I've got more wine. And in fact, it's far better than any, of, than any of the other wine you've been drinking. So he gives out free food. But also Jesus, he gives out quality, free health care. I mean, so far in John, we've seen him heal an official's son who was on the verge of death. He also healed a man who was paralyzed from his youth. So he's giving out free health care. So everybody is following Jesus. And here at the beginning, what happens is Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee. The crowds literally chase him across the sea. So Jesus can't even get alone. And they're coming after him. 
And Jesus turns to them in verse 26, and he says, You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So what he's saying when he says you're seeking me not because you saw signs, he's saying the signs that I'm doing are meant to point you to me. But the reason why you're following me isn't because of me, like who I am in my very essence, but you're seeking me because of the things I'm doing for you. You're, you're, you're following me just because I'm giving you good food. You're following me because I'm giving you free, great health care. So then they get in this dialogue, and then in verse 35, Jesus gives his punchline, and he says, I am the bread of life, is what he wants to drive home to them. And so the force of what Christ is saying, it's lost on us uh, from, you know, the, the force of it's lost compared to what his, his hearers would have heard, because for you and me, we have so many options when it comes to food. So like when you go out to a restaurant, Remember those places that you used to go to that food would come to you before the quarantine? So you probably had a friend or, you know, a spouse that you go out to eat with, or maybe you are this person, and you take forever to choose what you want. You know, do I want fish? Do I want steak? Do I want chicken? There's so many options. Or do I need gluten-free? Do I need dairy-free? But for Jesus and his hearers, bread was the main thing that they ate. And so what bread came to symbolize in the time of Jesus was life itself. It's at the heart of living. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread, what he's saying is, you need me more than you need anything else, is what he's getting at. Like as much as you need bread for your physical body to keep going, you need me for your entire being to keep going. And so it's, it's a little bit like this when Jesus is saying, you need me, not just the things I'm giving you. So imagine... You, know, you own a home and you notice, uh, well, there's not a wall behind me, but you notice, a, you notice a crack on the wall. So you call a contractor over to come fix the crack and the contractor comes over and they look all around your house and they come back to you and they say, hey, you know what? Um, the, the problem is actually a lot deeper than we thought. It's not just a crack on your wall, but the entire foundation of your home is, is messed up. And so we need to fix the foundation. Otherwise, if we just fix the crack, then your house is going to crumble in a few years. And you're like, Ah, okay, well, whatever. That sounds like it's going to be a lot of work. Can you just fix the crack and be done with it? And the contractor goes, no, you, you don't get it. Like if, you, if we don't fix the foundation, then you're not even going to have a home. And that's what Jesus is saying when he's saying, what you need is me more than anything else, even the things that I can give you. And I think if Jesus were talking to us today, he'd probably say something like this. Like, are you coming to me just because of the things I can do for you? and I'm sort of, you know, incidental to your life, are you coming to me for me? Or to put it more specifically, um, like, do you think your main issue is that you, you want to be married, but you're still single? Or your main issue is you want children, but you're infertile? Or you're anxious all the time, and you just want to stop being anxious? Or you want more financial security? Or, or all these other things that can be real hurts and really matter, but Jesus is saying, what you need even more than those things is me. Because when Jesus says, I'm the bread that's come down from heaven, he's drawing back on the Exodus story when, when God would um, feed the Israelites with manna coming down from heaven. And he's saying, I'm not just another religious or secular guru come to teach you how to find God or come to teach you how to follow your heart or pursue your dreams and achieve self-actualization. I'm God, come to find you, and I've come to give you my life. I've come to rise again from the dead so that when you believe in me, you can have eternal life. And that's the deepest need of your soul. And that's what he means when he says, I am the bread. 
And so like a, a challenge for you, especially if you know, you've been raised in the church and you say, okay, I, I know this, like I know this is why Jesus came, but what Jesus is asking you is when you get up in the morning, is there, like, is the cry of your heart and the reasons why your emotions go up and down, is it all based on Christ and who he is or is it about so many other things you're fixated on? Like when you get up in the day, is there a desperate cry to Christ saying, Jesus, I need you more than the oxygen in my lungs today. That's what Jesus wants you to see when he says, I'm the bread of life. Like, I am life itself. Okay, so that's number one. That's why he's saying, I'm the bread. Now, number two, why does he say, I'm the bread of life? And this was the part for me that struck me like a thunderbolt as I was was studying this. And I, I hope it ministers to you like it did for me. So Jesus isn't just saying, He's not just saying, like, you need me in the way that you need vegetables. You know, you might not enjoy them, but you need them. When he says, I'm the bread of life, what he's getting at is he's saying, you don't just need me, but I'm so good. I'm so good, and I want you to enjoy me. And see, our problem is, is when we hear him say, I'm the bread of life, or when we hear him say, you know, I've come to give you eternal life, that's what all of John's about. John says at the end of his gospel, so you may believe in Jesus and have eternal life, right? So when we hear the phrase eternal life, what we think is mere like duration of existence, I think, is what initially comes to mind. And so if Jesus has merely come to give you a longer existence, you know, so after you die, you just are raised up and you keep on living, that, is that a good deal? I don't think it's a good deal. I mean, imagine continuing to live in your current state with all your self-absorption and all your insecurities and all your inconsistencies and, and all your fear. Be, the Bible has a word for that. It's called hell. Okay? So all of us are going to continue eternally. And the question is, are we going to continue apart from Christ for eternity or with Christ? And so when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he's not just getting at you, trust in me, you can live forever. He's talking about a quality of life because there are two words for life he could use here. So one would be the Greek word bios, which means just mere existence. Or he could use the word zoe, which means quality of life. I mean, the, the kind of life that, that makes your life brim with joy and color, like no matter what assails you. That's what he's getting at. And so one of my friends, he has a few young kids and they're, they're pretty hilarious. So one of them is, he's around six or seven years old and my friend was telling me he took his family uh, to a resort. So they went on a trip, this was you know before COVID. And he watches his son, who's like six years old. They, he gets in a hot tub and he has a, like a strawberry smoothie with him or something. And his little kid you know, slides into the hot tub and he just puts his arms out to the side and he looks over at my friend and he goes, Dad, this is the life. This is the life. I mean, who, who says that? This kid's six. And, but what he was, was he saying, oh, this is me existing? No, he, he was using the same type of uh, connotation that Christ is getting at when he says, I've come to give you life. Like, this is life at the highest, is what Jesus is saying. And so this is what Christ has come to give you. And so the question is, because you're probably, you may be saying to yourself, okay, I, I get it. I'm supposed to enjoy Jesus, but it often doesn't feel like I enjoy Jesus. There are so many other things that seem more real than Christ. Like, I, I want to know him more, right? So how do I enjoy him more? And here's the beauty of this section, because Jesus never just tells you something and then doesn't give you the power to do it. He tells you why union with him is so enjoyable. And here's why. 
It's in verse 37. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Do you know, do you know anybody else like this? Whoever comes to me, I will, I will never, ever cast out, is what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus knows the deepest need of your soul is to love and be loved. For somebody to see all of you, complete, all of you completely and love you to the stars. And that's what he says. And when he says, I will never cast you out, what he wants you to hear is every single human relationship you have has limits. It doesn't matter if it's a spouse. It doesn't matter if it's a friend. If you harm the relationship enough, if you damage the relationship enough, if you betray enough, if you fail enough, that person will at minimum put up walls, okay? Or they may go so far as to cast you out. But Jesus is saying, with me, there are no limits. It doesn't matter how many times you fail me or betray me. I will never, ever cast you out. In other words, what Jesus is saying is it's... It's your very weaknesses and sin that are the very things that qualify you to approach me. Is what he's saying, I will never let you go. And so what Jesus is getting at is he wants you to see his heart for you. And as I was meditating on this, I, I think one of our problems is often we look at the work of Jesus. So what he did for us, you know, he, his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, do those things matter? Yes, absolutely they matter. You know, we need them to know God. But the problem is we ab abstract those things from the heart of the one who's doing them. And when, when Jesus says, I will never cast you out, he's saying, when you get to know me more and you see the very heart of the one who, who's pursued you, that's when you begin to have life in the way that I'm talking about. And so... All we're going to do for the remainder of our time together is look at just a few of the ways that Jesus loves you in this way because what Jesus is trying to do here is to take your gaze off of yourself and your anxieties and your performance and fixate, fixate, fixate them on him. And he wants you to see his persevering heart for you that'll never let you go. How his heart perseveres for you no matter what. And so what are, what are a few of the ways that his heart perseveres for you? Um, well, in verse 39, he says, this is the will of him who sent me, time out, God, I should lose nothing of all that he's given me and raise it up on the last day. Another, word, another way to translate that would be, I will lose no one that God has given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. So what's one of the ways that Jesus never loses you? One of the ways he never loses you is he prays for you. Did you know that? The risen and the exalted Christ is, is praying for you right now. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, meaning save all the way. Those who draw near to God through him, why? Why can he save it to the, to the uttermost? Because he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for you. And think, think about your prayers, okay? Aren't your prayers sad sometimes? <laughs> I mean, at least just for me, like my prayers can be so sad, so pathetic. But what about the prayers of Jesus and all his merit and all his excellence and all his majesty? Think about the power of his prayers, the efficacy of his prayers. 
And what is Jesus praying for you? He prays for your strength. He prays for your heart. He prays for you never to fall away. He is praying for you right now. That's part of the way that he never loses you. And to see the force of this in, in Luke, I believe it's chapter 22, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, I'm praying for you so that Satan won't have you. This is right before Peter's arrested and crucified. Jesus is praying for Peter. What happens with Peter? Peter fails big time, right? Peter denies Jesus, but does Peter get back up and persevere? Yeah, he does. Why? Because of Peter? Not because of Peter. Peter was a wreck. The reason why Peter persevered was because Christ prayed for him. And the same Christ who prayed for Peter is praying for you right now. So that's the first way his heart perseveres for you, is he perseveres for you in prayer. Number two, how does his heart persevere for you? His heart perseveres for you in strength. Now, in a lot of my pastoring, uh, one of the things that I hear, and I often say this to myself a lot, but one of the things that I commonly hear is something along these lines. You know, I just, I wish my faith was stronger. Or, you know, I just feel like my faith is faltering all the time. And I, I get the sentiment, and it's a good desire to want your trust in your faith in Jesus to be stronger, but is your faith going to falter? Yeah. Is your commitment to Jesus going to waver? Yes. And so what Jesus is saying here when he says, all who come to me, he's not saying all who come to me with a robust faith. He says, even those with the most frail and feeble of faith who come to me, I will never cast out. And it's a little bit like this. So I have a, a four-month-year-old son right now. Uh, his name's Titus. And we have this new game, and so what he does is he lies on his back, because that's pretty much all he can do. He can't crawl or walk yet, and he just he lies on his back, and I'll stick my, I'll stick my fingers like toward his face, and he'll, he'll grab my fingers with his hands, and I'll start to pull him up, and he gets really excited because he wants to sit up with me. So then I, I grab his wrists, and I pull him up, and he sits up, and he's so happy. And who's doing the lifting? Okay, because if I keep pulling, right, and he's gripping on my fingers, as soon as I lift just a few inches, his fingers slip. But if I grab his wrists and pull him up, he comes up. So whose strength is it dependent on on whether or not he's able to sit up or not? It's based on the strength of his father. And so when Jesus says to you, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out and I will never lose anybody that God gives me. What he's saying is that your ability to have joy in this life, your ability to have your wounds healed, your ability for you to be made whole, the ability for you to persevere into glory is not dependent on your strength. That's uncertain. It's not dependent on your commitment to me. That's going to waver. But it depends on my strength, which is certain, and my commitment to you, which is matchless. And so while you will fall, you will never fall away. And while you will fail, you will never fail completely because it's your salvation is not dependent on your wisdom or your strength or your love for me, but it's dependent on my wisdom and my strength and my love for you and my love for you is perfect. Because whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is the heart of your Savior. What a Savior. So he, he perseveres for you in his prayers for you. He perseveres for you in his unmatched strength for you. And finally, he perseveres 
in his love for you. And what I mean by this is he perseveres in his love for you even when he's getting nothing out of the relationship. He perseveres in his love for you even when you're not giving him anything. And so he's getting nothing in return. And you say, okay, that's great, but how can I know that? And the reason you can know it is, I mean, you can see Jesus. The beautiful thing about when you look at Jesus, you see God and you see how he treats you. And one of the most clear, clear places you see this is in John chapter 13. And in John chapter 13, so you guys are going to get there, you know, in a number of months as you keep walking through John. So it's the final night, it's the final meal Jesus has with his friends before he's crucified. And he knows his death is coming and he's scared. But instead of turning inward and thinking about himself, it's amazing. Throughout all John 13 and 17, when he's looking at his friends, he does nothing but give them assurance and promise. And in the beginning of John chapter 13, Jesus gets down on his knees to wash the feet of his friends uh, before they go to the garden and before Jesus is arrested. And in verse 1, it's this amazing line where it says, Jesus Christ, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And why this is so staggering is because look at the people whose feet he's washing. As Jesus gets down on his knees to wash his disciples' feet, Judas is there. Judas is going to betray him. Jesus knows it. He washes the feet of Judas. Peter's there. Peter's going to deny Jesus in his hour of greatest need. He washes the feet of Peter. Every single face that Jesus looks at as he kneels down on the ground is either going to betray him, is going to deny him, is going to doubt him, or when he's arrested in the garden, they're all going to run from him. The, one of the saddest things about Jesus' arrest is the last thing he sees as he's dragged away is the backs of all of his friends running away. But what does Jesus do? He kneels down and he washes every single one of their feet without exception. He washes, <laughs> he washes everyone. Even when he's getting absolutely nothing out of the relationship. And what God wants you to do is you read a passage like this and he says, I will never cast you out. And as you read a place like John 13 when it says Jesus loved his own all the way until the end, is if you need to look down at Jesus washing your own feet and you need to see, see him kneeling before you, the King of Kings, as he looks up at you through the pages of the Bible and he says with utter sincerity, come be my disciple. Come be my disciple. Because once you enter into a love relationship with me, once you enter into a love relationship with me, I will never forsake you. Not a billion failures. Nothing can dislodge my love for you. And I'm willing to kneel, not just on my knees, but I'm willing to kneel all the way into hell itself, where I take the wrath of God owed for your sin and then raise from the dead and seal you with my spirit, which means you belong to me. No matter what happens, no matter what assails you, all you need to do is come to me. In my persevering heart, I will pray for you, I will give you my strength, and I will love you all the way to the end. This is the heart of Christ. 
And it's what Jesus wants you to see. And so an application here as we end our time together. Uh, first, if you, if you don't know Jesus, how long can you go without food is what Jesus is asking. Excuse me. You can go for a while, but after a while you'll die. And even more so than that, you need Jesus for eternal life, not just living forever, but the quality of life that you are made for. And Jesus is saying, all that's required is that you come to me. You don't need to work. He says, all you need to do is look at me and believe, which means to stop, stop trusting in yourself, but trust in me and follow me. And for those of you who follow Jesus, so we're in this quarantine right now, right, during COVID. And as I was thinking about this, this is, so this period is frustrating. And more than that, it's awful for a lot of people. But one of the saving graces of this time is this is a unique time where it's caused all of us to shift and reevaluate our priorities and our disciplines. And all of us, I mean, with the exception perhaps of if you're a healthcare worker, uh, all of us have more time, if anything, because you're, you're no longer commuting. Uh, but at, at minimum, we have a wonderful chance to reprioritize what we do. And what Jesus would have you do is just ask yourself, are you enjoying Jesus? Like, are you carving out regular time in your day to enjoy Jesus? Because Jesus doesn't offer you daily communion with you uh, just to give you a to-do item. He offers you communion with him because he can't bear to keep himself at a distance from you. And this is an incredible time to, and I know a lot of you, you, you know a regular devotional life is good, but you, you don't do it just because quite frankly you view other things as more important. What could be more delightful than spending regular time with this individual that we've been talking about and his persevering heart for you. And so just think about it this way. Um, one other local pastor, James Forsyth, put it this way, and I thought it was very helpful. So at the, this quarantine is going to be probably written about in history books, everything with COVID. And so our kids and grandkids are probably going to ask us, you know, or if you don't have kids, like children are going to ask you, what was it like to be alive during COVID? And what's your answer going to be? Because your answer could be, you know, it was, yeah, I still, you know, if I still had a job, I still worked. I refreshed my media feeds 25 times a day. Uh, I, was, I was pretty irritated that I couldn't go out. I argued a lot with my housemates. Like if, if that's the fruit of our time here and during this quarantine, like, <laughs> what a loss. What a loss. But what if instead a child asked you, what was it like to be alive during COVID? And you, you got on a knee and you looked at that child in the eye and you said, you know what? Not only was that period a historical moment for the world, but that was a historical moment for me. As for the first time in my life, I actually was convinced that Jesus was the bread of life and that I needed him more than anything else during the day. And it was during that time that I developed the regular discipline of going to him and cherishing his word and pouring out my fears and pouring out my tears to him and just going to him in prayer and just cherishing time with him. And that's a large part of why I am who I am today, because the love of Christ is so much more real to me because of all the time that we've spent together. Wouldn't that be a magnificent thing? And so that's my charge and encouragement to you all is 
during the rest of this quarantine and beyond to spend regular time with Christ enjoying him. Because he says to you, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this sweet promise of your son Jesus. Thank you so much for sending him into the world and that he came happily, joyfully to save us, Father. It is, yeah, Lord, help us to enjoy you. Lord, you are life yourself. You are life itself. And I pray for me, I pray for all of Sojourn Church, Lord, that we will be a people that when people look at us, they say, you know, there's a lot of things wrong with those guys, but they enjoy Jesus. May that be the defining mark of who we are. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.